Welcome to the Paperless Movement Podcast. I'm Tom Solid, your host, and I'm so excited to share another thrilling episode with you, where I deep dive into the digital productivity space together with my guests. As usual, this episode is not sponsored. However, providing you this value for free is only possible thanks to all of you who are part of the Paperless Movement membership. You allow me to stay independent with my opinion. But also as a member, you can join these interviews live when they are recorded for a chance to ask your own questions and you will even get access to chapterized video versions of this and previous episodes. So if you'd like to become a member eager to max out the full potential of your digital productivity system, check out paperlessmovement.com. And now, without further ado, let's dive into this chat. I always want to start. I'm so excited. I, I keep they, saying... They've, they've heard it before. Sorry? They've heard it all before. They heard it already. You know, I'm just an excited person. That's just <laughs> how it is. The whole day excitement in my surroundings. People are so annoyed because I'm so excited the whole day. But today, I'm especially excited because the one and only famous Danny Hatcher is on the show. And if you don't know him... Well, then he's not that famous yet, but he's famous <laughs> in my heart because since we, he's been already on the show, you probably don't know because it was never published afterwards, but we went live and it's, I think, already a year ago and we talked about something, was some serious talk <laughs> about Notion versus Obsidian. But before we dive all into this, Danny, tell a bit about yourself, why you're on YouTube, why you talk about Obsidian, why you love it so much, you know, also your education, I think is very interesting to see. It is a bit different type of guest we have today. So let's go. Yeah, yeah. Th thank you for having me on. It's it's always great to, to speak with other people on YouTube that aren't like, aren't massive, aren't small, it's just the same level, you know? Yeah. Plus we've like spoken on Twitter a lot. A bit of background then for, for me. My undergraduate degree is in sports coaching, which a lot of people like sports coaching. You can get a degree in that. Yeah. Educational science, lots of sciencey words, pedagogy, andragogy. And then my master's degree is in strength and conditioning, which is essentially a PT, personal trainer, but for high performance athletes. So people like Bolton or all of the, the high profile athletes in the Olympics. Not me then in this case. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. You haven't they, met me yet, so right. <laughs> they have strength and conditioning coaches. It's part of the sports science team behind most athletes. So I've got a, a master's degree in that, and I'm looking at doing my research, PhD research, in essentially cognitive science and educational science. So that involves neuroscience, computational neuroscience, and loads of other big flashy words that we won't bother getting into. Obsidian. I started using Obsidian over a year ago now. I was using Notion in... So I started using that my second year of my undergrad, and I used Notion for just over three years. And it was great. It was really, really useful. But when I started trying to put notes together and create thoughts, I found myself going through databases, going through my relations in databases, and it, it became more of a hassle than help. So I tried Obsidian. I didn't like the look of it because of the graph and the code and the formatting. It looked disgusting. I got over it after about two or three days because I realized backlinks were really helpful and I've been using it ever since. So, well, yeah. that sums it up pretty well, right? The thing is, if you don't know Danny Etcher yet, he has a long time podcast, which I love listening to because everything Danny puts out there is so very well researched and always gives this scientific background that is missing in a lot of other content that you can consume on YouTube. So I really appreciate it that you put in the off effort and I love the recent video. Is it one video? Probably you did already another one. 
I don't know. But this one was about schools and the pros and cons about schools and so on. I love, I love it. I have my own opinion about schooling. But yeah, so this is going a really nice direction. And I love it that you're back on the show. For those who don't know, in the last live session, we talked about me using Notion and the database structures that I like. And then we went on screen sharing and we actually rebuilt the structure in Obsidian. I mean, in the end of the day, all these tools we're talking about, doesn't matter if it is Obsidian and the others, it is always a database, right? It's just showing in different ways. And yeah, I started using Obsidian this way, actually, built up my people's database and had some metadata in there. But I'm an on-off user of Obsidian. I'm not a note-taker. That's something I you know, said on Twitter as well. I don't take notes. I collect data. And I always try to collect the snippets of information and place them in a place where they belong to. So to me, it's not a paragraph that I'm writing. This might be a different case. I always say, also when I'm teaching i it's more for business people rather than for authors and creators and scientists. And I think that's very interesting then for the scientists when we come to Obsidian and so on. So what's your take on this, Danny? The way I see note-taking is the data you're taking is still note-taking. It's just a different type of note. That's the way I would see it. And what you do with the note is going to change with the point of taking the note. It's actually something I'm speaking about in a video I'm currently editing. But if you are a so-called expert or you have expertise in whatever field you're looking at, you don't need to take loads and loads of notes because you've got it in your head. So those people inside a business probably don't need to take hundreds of notes in their calls because they've heard it before, they've seen it before, they're familiar with things, so they don't need loads of notes. On the other hand, if you're a novice learner or a beginner in whatever skill you're trying to develop, you need more notes because you need more assistance. The science is extended cognition. It's the hypothesis of extended cognition. I'm not going to go into it, but essentially that's what it is. And using cognitive load theory as the, the base of how difficult it is, as to where it, whether it's going to warrant a note or not. Inside a business, most of the time, you're not looking to learn new skills, develop new things, or challenge yourself. You're looking to get data, like say, take notes on things so you can help someone. So it's a different use for notes. And Obsidian, I think, can be useful for most notes, but not all, because it's not a spreadsheet. Mm, yeah, true. Talking about people starting a new position, as you mentioned there. This this is exactly the thing. And I'm, I'm teaching in Pebble's Movement as well, talking about single source of truth. And then people think, oh, should I use one tool and ditch all the others and we get everything into one tool? That's not what I mean by single source of truth. It's just one place where you find a defined type of information. And when I start a position and I go into a team and I have a question, there should be a place where I know I can go to and find what I'm looking for. And sitting in meetings, talking about a project or tasks, I'm against five people sitting there, everybody taking their notes in their laptop or paper notebook or whatever they use and creating information silos, whereas they should actually place it in the final destination, the single source of truth, who everybody is accessible. This being said, before you answer, this being said, I still think there is another type of notes like personal revelations out of the meeting things that helps me in the career or things like that, or just to wrap my head around this. So these to me are temporary notes or, you know, journaling or things like this that can go in these two. And I think there should be a distinction between note-taking business notes and personal notes. 
the way that I see this is through a paradigm of thought called ecological dynamics, which I'm not going to go into too much, but essentially in the environment you're in, there are constraints and affordances that allow you to do certain things. And depending on what you want to do with the note gives different constraints and affordances to those notes. So if you put a note in a spreadsheet, there are certain things you can't do with it. If you put notes in Obsidian, again, there are certain things you can't do with it, but there's certain things you can do in Obsidian, you can't do in a spreadsheet. So knowing the purpose of the note or a direction you want to take the note helps you put it in a tool that suits the environment constraints and affordances of the note. So for me, inside a business, most of the data that I take for my business is on YouTube. It's on YouTube. It stays on YouTube. I don't need that, that data anywhere else. They are still notes because I'm still taking information from an external source and using it to help my cognition, my thinking. But it's stored on YouTube. Yes, you can argue whether that's a note I've taken, but I'm still mentally going, oh, yeah, I've had this many views, this percentage, whatever. I'm using external data to help my thinking, to make decisions further on. So I think all the information outside of our biological memory are notes because they can either be mental notes or written notes. And that's what notes are for, to assist our cognition. So the way that I would see all of those notes inside of Obsidian and the free form notes, the conceptual notes, the, the questions you may have, the assumptions you want to challenge to either challenge meta ignorance or whatever you want to do, those sorts of things are for your assistance later on most of the time in learning or developing a skill. That's that's the way I see it. Yeah, I like it. So tell us inside Obsidian, I mean, first of all, is Obsidian the only tool that you use for your YouTube channel? I mean, <laughs> we want to talk about you. You actually secretly published a course even. So if anybody is <laughs> interested in learning more about the way how Danny uses Obsidian, it's in the YouTube description. Actually, if you're watching this live on YouTube, go in the description, there's the secret link, but you will do a video talking about this new course as well. I was begging you for more than a year that you should do such a course because it's so, I'm sure it will be awesome. I haven't watched it yet. I have to, but this being said, is Obsidian the one and only tool? If so, is it because you're working on your own? And if you would build a team later on as a content creator, would you switch or add another tool? So for my personal toolkit, I guess you could say, for knowledge management, Obsidian is my only tool. For resource management, which is part of knowledge management, but in my mind, it's slightly different. So storing where the things are, PDF files mostly. I use Zotero, but I also have videos, podcasts, everything that I consume online, even blogs and articles. It's in Zotero. It's linked in Zotero, and I have a system to organize that. It's very, very arbitrary. It's just, uh, I've read it. I haven't read it. And what priority do I have to read it next? And then I use something called Morgan as my task and action man manager, which is a calendar, a task manager, and my scheduling tool. It's like the all-in-one. It's not an all-in-one. Yeah. It just does my action stuff. For this part, <laughs> for the output part, actually, of iCore. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, well, that sounds like a good stack. But talking about this, the team, you probably wanted to talk about this. Yeah, so bring it, bringing people on, the way that I see working as a team, this is my personal opinion as someone that's only worked with a couple of people individually, I would still use Obsidian because Obsidian Sync, Sync Collaboration, I work with John Stewart, which you're very familiar with. John and I have a podcast called PKM Podcast, and we have a Sync Vault that's collaborative between the two of us. And I have it on my computer. He has it on his computer. So when I want to add a note, I just add it to the note that I have in Obsidian, and then it syncs to his to the, the combined, the joint sync vault. So I would still use Obsidian because it's 
simple, it's easy, it does, it gives me all the links that I need to do, and it doesn't overcomplicate it for me. But of course, I will need to work with someone that is either familiar with it or is open to using it, because I would much rather them be comfortable with their tools than me be comfortable with mine. But I haven't had that much experience working with other people yet. Yeah, then we will talk again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all a bit different with the team. But This being said, I talked to Brian Chanks as well in one of the interviews, and we talked about the vision that if we open up the Obsidian vaults to the public and we could connect different public vaults and leverage actually the information of other people, this would be awesome. But this being said, wouldn't it also get redundant and I end up with a you know something that I just could Google? I think when it comes to the the global sync or collaboration of Obsidian, it mimics Wikipedia. That That's the way yeah. I see it. It's basically just a different version of Wikipedia. So yeah, I think it certainly has an element of redundancy the, the bigger the community gets because you're going to have the same problem Wikipedia has, arguments between grammar and all the arguments between what's fact, what isn't fact, punctuations of references and all the other stuff that goes on behind. I've edited Wikipedia, so I know a lot of the arguments that happen. Mm-hmm. It's not fun. You can deal with some really petty people out there. So I would see sync collaboration as a more privatized silo version of working with people. So publish, so Obsidian publish is essentially pushing your notes online, which I have, and everyone can see literally all of my notes. There's like 20 files that aren't there, which are private information, but everything else is public. And you can collaborate on those. So there's now published collaboration, very similar to sync collaboration, which again, I think is useful for sort of businesses, five, 10, 15 people working on a blog, an Obsidian publish, or a company pushing out information or anything like that. So for smaller private publishing, I think it works well for Obsidian publish and Obsidian sync for global collaboration of network thought and ideas, leave it to Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But you, you just mentioned it. I mean, having it in inside a business as a business wiki, this actually could work pretty well, enriching the, the knowledge inside the business and keeping it there. But how would you organize this? I mean, in the end of the day, you have to define the conventions as well, how you use Obsidian. So you can, you start arguing already about folders versus tags, big, big topic as well on Twitter. Yeah, so I think this needs to be in place, right? How you collect information. Yes, I think the way the way I see Obsidian is it's a word processor with lots of other buttons. That, that, that's the way I describe it, because what you can do in Word, you can do in Obsidian, but it's actually more restricted in Obsidian when you first look at it, because all you can do is just type stuff. That's it. Mm. It's not until you start adding core plugins, you start adding community plugins if you even want to go down that line, and you start dragging and dropping things that complexity really starts to get involved. So on the front, Obsidian is just a word processor, and that's how I treat it. So the course that I have that you download, you download an Obsidian vault, but the vault is set up that you quite literally just click the tick button when you've done it, and then you move through the pages by clicking through the links. Yes, there is a folder system that you can go through if you want, but you don't need to. You can just click on the pages as if it was a web page. Then if you do want to understand how I've made it using callout blocks and using other searches, et cetera, et cetera, because it's Obsidian and you have it, you can just change it from reading view to the live preview or the source mode, and then you can just explore and create, recreate it yourself. Right. So, but for the listeners out there, There's also the argument, I mentioned it already, folders versus tags, and I asked this question on Twitter, and people are really interested. I'm more in the tags camp, but there's actually a third coming up, which are all the tools, AI-driven tools, who are focusing on search. And Paco Saranto, 
I hope I pronounce this right. He mentioned actually the AI. We will talk in another interview as well about this. I also think that AI takes over at some point because it will understand much more what you're looking for. But now I really want to understand your take on this. How do you find your information? Do you search for it? Or is it clicking on tags and folders, right? In order to find your information. In the end of the day, it's search. No, no. Yeah, yeah, it's it's search. So in Obsidian, you have normally there are three different types of searches. I say three, even though there is the global search, which is the search core plugin. And then you have the quick switcher, which searches just the pages, which again is a core plugin that you can add and remove. But the other search is page search and searching like on a page. So there's three different I guess you could say categories or levels of search. And all of those elements of search can be used inside of, I guess you could say siloed information. So if you're in the backlinks panel, you could use any of those searches in the backlinks. If you're in the tags panel, you could use any of those searches in there. So I, I search for all of my information. The only time I use my tags is when I'm looking for a group of something via status or stage. So, for example, I mean, I can look, I'm looking at my tags now. I mean, we I could have... use it for tasks, for example, right? To do, you just add the tag to do and you delete it if you don't need to do it. Yeah, anymore. or, or you can just have a two, right? You can just have a, a tick box because Obsidian worked with tick boxes, which is what I've done. In I the just course. mentioned it this way because we have a lot of Apple Notes users as well, and you can handwrite tags in there. And this would be one option to actually mm -hmm. create or track some tag, some to dos, things that you could do in folders. I mean, moving things into folders and taking them out just not. but the 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 enemy of to me information systems is friction either friction adding new information or friction to retrain information later on so there are many cases where i'm much faster googling it again rather than going into my personal knowledge management in order to find the information so are you when you're looking for new information good do you go into your obsidian and you start searching and if you don't find it then you look for on google or somewhere else right in, in scientific papers i i have not come across a time where it takes me longer than 10 seconds to find what it is that I'm looking for inside of Obsidian. I haven't had that experience yet. But this means that you always know that it must be already in Obsidian. Otherwise, I, I know good. I have something about it in Obsidian. So the way mm. for, for people, you can have a look at my publish. The way that my notes are is I have source notes, which are reference notes, which could be anything from a blog to a video podcast, academic paper, anything. They're just source notes. And the only reason they're source notes and they're called source notes is because I needed to put them somewhere in a folder. So there's a folder called source notes. <laughs> Everything else is a working note because again, I needed somewhere to put it because I don't want my file, my, my file system sort of, I don't want it just to be a list of stuff. That's literally the only reason I have folders because it's storage, that's it. And the working notes are concept or topic related. So I have a note called approaches to human cognition. So I know anything to do with approaches to human cognition. So neuroscience, cognitive neuroscience, computational neuroscience, anything like that, I know is going to be in that note. Where? I don't know. So I'd search for either the thing in the global search, or I know it's in that note, so I can search for the note through the quick switcher, and then I go to find the thing, or I can just immediately go straight to the note, and I, I know it's there. And if it's not there, I know anything that is related, again, I can just globally search for it. And because I'm looking for specific terms, I, I don't need to know exactly what the note is called, which is one of my gripes with Atomic Notes. Atomic Notes, you need to know the note it's in, which sometimes is really small, and it can be a pain in the arm to try and find all that stuff. So I treat atomic notes as blocks. So I will have hundreds of atomic notes 
in OneNote because they're just blocks that I can reuse in different places. One of the powers of Obsidian and Roam mm -hmm. and lots of other network thought tools. But having it all in one place means I just need to search OneNote. Extend uh, hypothesis of extended cognition is another note. Arguments for is one section. Arguments against is another section. Ethical considerations is another section. So it's all in one note, but it's easily findable, easily searchable. I like the take on the atomic nodes. The less, I mean, the, the more I try to really collect only snippets of information. And, um, but I take away searchability. That's what you're saying, right? The more I distill, if you use this word, a node, the less findable it will become. Although I would argue you will always keep the keywords that you would search for anyway. So the use of atomic notes as traditionally seen as just a single note is if you can't remember whatever the, the actual thing is that you've written down, it's a concept, it's an idea. In seven months time, you can't remember what the concept idea was. It's just completely gone from your mind. The only reason you will come across that is if you happen to stumble across it, it's linked to something you happen to be looking for, or you somehow manage to find it. So if you're deliberately trying to find something, for example, if I'm, I had this a couple of weeks ago, if I'm thinking about something in Hypothesis of Extended Cognition, I was thinking about a person that has a, a cyborg eye. And I was like, I can't remember where this note would be. I was like, I was typing in cyborg, I was typing in random stuff, and I couldn't work it out. And then this is why I put in working notes, because I knew it was related to extended cognition. So I went to that page and I was like, it's not here. I can't find it. And I was searching for ages. But I immediately went to what it's related to in my mind, which is the main topic, the main area, the main idea, rather than it being this really small note. And what this also allows me to do is I get, some people call it serendipity. But when I'm going through the notes, because I'm having to scroll past sections, even if I'm not looking for a note, I could scroll past and go, oh yeah, that's related to, oh, and then I start getting ideas because I've scrolled past a point that just happens to be above the point I'm really looking for. And because I've already got a train of thought going, I can create more connections in that page, which is just making a link. That's a lot to digest. I love it. I can certainly understand how your Methodist is there and how you use Obsidian. But I guess in the, in the course that you secretly published, probably by the time this recording is published, the course will be live as well, uh, officially live. But tell us, will everybody learn going through the course exactly what you just described? So is this, yes. uh, you know, the method, the method, how you use Obsidian and how you structure it and how you find information. And I think yeah. the moment where people keep sticking to tools like Obsidian is this revelation when you actually resurface information the way you just mentioned it, right? You're searching for something and then you find something that you totally forgot, but it's there. And this works only if you use this as a single source of truth for this type of information. The things I struggled as well, and this is why I say there are different tools. When we pick the argumentation that there are architects and gardeners and librarians, right? I, I cannot I cannot identify myself or my members with this because it depends on what I'm working on, in what state of my day I am, right? Do I do personal work? Am I in business? So there I might be a gardener, I might be an architect depending on what I'm working on. So this is the moment where I thought I saw the potential of Obsidian for personal knowledge management. That's that's perfect for revelations. But then there's always a thin line where you have information that you think, oh my God, it should go in Obsidian, but it should also stay in my business wiki or whatever, right? I hate duplicating information. So should I take the decision and say, okay, 
it goes in there because it makes no sense. Or how do you do this to duplicate information? Or that's what I usually recommend. You mentioned a, a longer version of it in one tool and then you link it out to the other tool where you usually only reference two things. There, obviously, there are different ways to approach it. And going backwards just a little bit with regards yeah. to my, my course and my approach, yes, people can know exactly how I work, but that's not going to be how they work. So the way that I've built out the, the course is that you just learn the fundamentals of how Obsidian works, and then you can literally explore how I've built it. So you can then remold it, reshape it into something that works for you because we're all going to work differently. And the way that I would approach adopting a tool like Obsidian or changing a tool is using it. Forget about working on the best framework, the best whatever, but just use the thing. And then if you find a problem, then try and find a solution to the problem once you found it. Otherwise, just use it as a word processor. And then going back to what you were saying with sharing information, my personal approach is inside of my personal notes, which again, anyone can see on publish on my Obsidian publish, my notes and distillation, I duplicate information from my source notes into my working notes, because I can have five sources that say roughly the same thing. And when I'm in my working note, I actually want to go, actually, these all say the same thing. I'm just going to bunch it all together and just cite all five. So I want it duplicated rather than changing the original. And that's how I would see working in business or working with other people is they probably won't want all of the sources or the information where you got the ideas from. They'll just want, okay, what, what takeaway point do I actually need? <laughs> yeah. And that, that's how I would look at it. So it wouldn't be necessarily a duplication of information, potentially a distillation of duplicated information inside of your notes, if, you, if that makes sense. It makes absolutely sense. Yeah, I love it. Because walls of text never help. I was working in big industry. I read SOPs with 60, 70 pages long. And then you have to sign that you read and understood everything, <laughs> which is just insane with walls of text. So Having this narrowed down or even having video snippets or things like that tell you help much more, especially working a team, than having this wall of text. However, and I think this is the takeaway from the live call here, having a place where everything can evolve and a lot richer source of information is available is great. And then distill it, refine it, process it into the single source of truth for your team. So actually the people who need specific types of information, see only this part of information. So I like this approach. I never thought in this way that you still could have a richer version in a different system and in a narrowed down version in another system. The question is then how to keep it in sync or update it. That's the only worry about duplicating, right? It updates in one system. When do you update it the other system? That works for yourself, but as soon you have a complex then that that's the exact reason why i call my notes working notes rather than permanent notes finished notes whatever because mm -hmm. i don't see a note as ever finished so going back to my tags that i use i have waiting written and writing so written in theory is a finished note because i've written it but it doesn't mean i finished because there can be to-do tasks on it and i can be actively writing a written mm -hmm. note because i've written loads of stuff but i've got a new source or a new piece of information that i want to then add to it, which is why it's always working. It's it's constantly dynamic. And for businesses, or in this case, a course, the choice of going, okay, I'm now going to do a, either I'm going to do a blanket update of all of the information we've gone through, or you do it as you go. That's the choice that you would need to make for a course. You wouldn't want to sort of add in bits here. Most people would say, okay, version one is this, version two is this. There is a, a cemented time where you go, okay, I'm now going to update all of this information. For me in my working notes, I can do it as I go because 
I'm, I'm flexible like that. In a business, you'd probably need some sort of, okay, we're going to update all of this stuff. Keep those notes in somewhere organized, whether it's a folder, a tag, uh, a list of just things that you've changed that could be organized in any way you want. Yeah, I like it. Well, that's versioning that you usually use in business, right? So that's why people use tools like Google or uh, Microsoft Word, things like that. Just before we close, I'm aware of the time, but just before we close the call, Toran, he was already excited seeing this show. He came up with something else in, in addition to this with, with how I learn. I prefer having information in different apps as it forces me to rewrite everything again, as it often takes two or more times before I get it. I personally, this would destroy my brain. And I was at this point where I had scattered information and pieces of things in different tools. I get the idea behind this. What's your what's your take on this, Danny? Rewriting, really useful. Or having the uh, same information in different places. Uh, yeah, yeah. Being forced to rewrite it on different places. Yeah, so the rewriting, really useful. Whether you do it in different places or not, it doesn't really matter because the affordances of most writing tools are going to be the same. You're still writing text. But if it's a way for the person, i.e. Torin, <laughs> if it's a way for you to separate an older version to a newer version, then great, it works. Some other ways to separate things, some people would put in different pages, different boxes. For me, I'm quite happy just to have essentially my to-do stuff at the bottom and my working stuff at the top. So inside of Obsidian, I split my pages. I have the same page open twice. I use a hotkey for that. And then I have my to-do stuff on the right. And then I have my what I'm writing on the left. So I can go between the pages, whether you're going between pages, up or down lines, between apps, doesn't really matter. It's the rewriting process that really matters in, in my mind. Yeah, and I can I can certainly agree with this. Once you pick up this same information a second time or a third time, you completely look at it in a different way. You gained more experience over time since you created this node. You get a different take on it, so it gets rewritten. But aren't we in danger that we then destroy the initial thought that we had when we took the note? That happened to me. You know, I, I rewritten content and it, it goes into a specific direction. Oh, you know, easy. My landing page, the messaging of the Pebbles movement, things like that. I came to a point where I thought, but wait, there was actually something two years ago that I had on a landing page that actually worked from a, you know, from a wording, how I describe what it is all about. And I was stupid enough to not have this available anymore because I have rewritten the same thing. So we are back in versioning, right? It is, would be much more advantage having the option to go back. Is there something I can do in Obsidian, actually? You, you can go back because it's just a file saved on your computer. So you can either go back in the file recovery or depending on where you've saved it into the recycle bin if you've deleted it, or you can just go back to all of your edits and sync. You just choose how long it's saved for. So I think I've got mine for seven days. Okay, but I cannot see long. in parallel the information that I saw there, you know. Usually, in, for example, Google Docs, right? You have a versioning and you see what was changed over time. And then you could just say, I want to have this piece recovered. Yeah, yeah. So what it comes up in the file recovery is red that's gone and green that stayed. Oh yeah, so, yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah, I remember in Obsidian. Yeah. Yeah. So and then okay. you can either copy all of it to clipboard or just some of it. But yeah, what what I actually do with my with my notes is instead of changing the block because most most of the time when I'm evolving an idea, it's a block, it's not a page. I will add to the sentence or I'll change the sentence or mold it in a way that I can still keep my original thinking or even a, a train of thought that I disagree with. I keep that in the block because that synthesis and critique over time, which is what scientists, internet academics, which is what I, I want us to do. So I keep it in the block, but I add the information later on. So 
I don't lose the old idea. I just evolve the block so that it makes more sense to me. And then I would bring more emphasis typically to the idea that I want to use. So working memory is an example. Working memory is great. But the items that you have in working memory is not so great because one chunk for a novice is different from one chunk to an expert. So one doesn't equal one. So the idea of working memory has a big limitation there. And that would have been added at the end of the working memory block as an example. All right, I get it. What I don't get is how can you create YouTube videos when the dog is barking on the outside? Because I have the same thing here. How many times are you annoyed when you're trying to record something and as you have very complex content anyway? I mean, the dogs are actually pretty fine. It's the next door neighbors that do the drilling and the hammering and the saws. <laughs> and the, I mean, they've got a, they've got a, what's it called? A digger in the garden at the moment because they're digging up the back garden. And that's been going for uh, three months now. So yeah, oh it's sort God. of, I talk at a camera, I stop for however long they're doing the thing for, and then I carry on. Same as today. Like, uh, <laughs> you have, some, you have to have some elevator music in this moment, right? Yeah. When, when I'm going through and editing my video, I just see this big block of just random spikes <laughs> and like, yeah, I'll just cut all that out. <laughs> That's actually so true. So we are all the same. Yeah. Any, I don't I look at my face you. when I'm editing. Don't look at my, I look at the audio waves. I'm like, yeah, that looks like I've spoken for a couple of seconds. I'll listen to that bit. Yeah, we're good. That's just random noise. I'm just deleting that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's the same for me. Danny, it was awesome to have you on the show. I'm excited about this course. I want to watch this. I'm excited about the next video where you actually talk more about this because i hope i really what i really hope and i really hope so that this course is really targeting scientists and literature researchers and things like that because i think that's the big potential that your way of doing it and obsidian has when i you know when i compare my community who is using what I think they can really learn when it comes to research from you. And just looking at your content yes. on YouTube as well, right? When this is all researched inside Obsidian, that just shows how well the system works. It's less of a scientific focus when it comes to like academics, which is why I use the term internet academic, because you don't have to be in an institution, academic institution, or you don't even have to have a degree. It's just yeah. being able to source information. You don't have to read academic articles. If you if you've read a blog, if you've read like your blog, like Tom's blog, and you want to reference it, how do you reference the blog? How do you get that information? But, yeah, I have to interrupt you because, well, I know that I guess you're agreeing with me on this. I mean, I made my PhD. I know how to do scientific research. And what we see on YouTube are these not very well researched videos telling facts, right? And people believing it or even being sponsored, right? Saying what they say. And I think that's a big danger that we have out there. You have to buy this and you have to do this in order to be successful and things like that. So this is why I really appreciate your videos. They are going the extra mile, right? You know certainly how to do the research and how to have the, the references and, and, and look into how many people actually said the same thing, right? That's that's also another indicator. I, I had a very quick look before we got on the call. So the video I'm publishing either Saturday or Sunday this week, I, in my Zotero folder for the video, have 53 references, but that's just what I researched in like the two days that I was having a look. The other research on my notes, I know my Cognitive Load Theory page has around 100 references my extended cognition has around 120 and then my meta ignorance is about 60 so you're looking at 400 references for a 10 minute video and people say can you put your references in the description no i cannot <laughs> you cannot but what i would do actually really in the end of the video you just should list up you know these many references these many days 
research, I think this would be really interesting to see. Obviously, you cannot bring in the whole list on this or you link out to a whole list. I think it is really interesting because you're even more underlining what you're saying there. So I have a link to my Obsidian Publish in the description and I couldn't I couldn't really put how many days I've researched this thing because mm. anytime I bring up a topic, oh, obviously yeah. preconceived research, but something that I, I did see, I think it's Seth Godin's blog. I saw this on my RSS feed in Zotero. He said something about fear and forgetting. I can't remember exactly what the blog was. It was a couple of days ago, but he basically said that in, in school, we're told to like show our workings inside of maths, like how, how we got to the conclusion. We stopped doing that when we don't, when we stop doing maths, but inside of like the world of content, no one shows their working. They just show the conclusion. Like, yeah, but how did you get there? And as a scientist, when I hear someone make a claim, I'm like, okay, what's the science? And when people, yeah. the most irritating thing for me, it might be the same for you. When people say research says, or studies say, and then you look in the description, there's nothing. I'm like, what was the research? Where was the study? Mm -hmm. Well, another <laughs> YouTube video probably. That's the thing, or podcast. I mean, uh, and to me, it's not only research. I mean, you can do research as much as possible. And I think productivity is really dangerous. I walked the walk eight years in big corporate, climbing up the ladder from, you know, not being productive at all and then being the productivity coach inside the company. This is a different game if you're sitting in these meetings, in these project meetings with billion uh, worth projects that you're building and you're getting frustrated that things are not organized. I think this is also experience is a big chunk that people who are sharing their experiences is part of. And you are sharing the experience of doing research. This is really appreciated. Torren, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say something that I'm bringing up in my video, which loads of science, not going to get into it, but essentially John Sweller came up with cognitive load theory, says that you can organize, everyone can organize information. It's when it gets complex or too complex for the person trying to organize it, that it becomes difficult. So if you understand what you're trying to organize, it's easy. If you don't understand what you're trying to organize, that's where complexity happens, which is where you get all the folders and tags and all the other stuff that comes in. So try and understand what you're trying to organize before you try but this and organize is, uh, And this is something I will discuss then with Paco next time, but this is going the direction of the AI-driven note-taking tools where you just throw in stuff and you have search in the end because it is really hard to know what this note should look like later on or where it should live, live later on and how the structure should look like. Obviously, then courses like yours are helping to build these structures, but then it needs to fit into my work again. So it's a, like a hen and an egg problem that we have here, right? Chicken and egg, yeah. Uh, chicken and egg. <laughs> well, I mean, a hen is also like putting on. I'm a German, yeah. I can't enough excuses. So it's a chicken <laughs> and egg, yeah. What was Torin saying? Do you... Yeah, Torin actually said, do what ready to harvest does has... Oh, oh yeah, I know what he's on a page behind the membership. Yeah, there's no membership yet for Danny, but... The way no. The way I see that is you're restricting the research to those people that are paying for the research. And in my mind, I don't think you should pay for education if you're willing to learn it, which is yeah. one of the, the bugbears I, of mine with the paying for higher ed. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna rant about that. <laughs> I think we could have a complete other interview just talking about this. Danny, I love to have you on the show. I want to follow up with you once the course is launched and see if you're still using Obsidian afterwards then, because you have a team and they have to, you know, work differently. <laughs> but anyway, I always love to talk to you either on the show or offline. It's always a pleasure. Danny, thanks for being with us. Anything you want to share with the community before we go offline? No, nothing apart from stay curious and keep it simple. Love it. In this mindset, we close the interview. See you guys. Bye, everyone.